Second ever Amphora episode. Amphora. <laughs> yes. Um, if you don't remember, we talked about vases and how you're a cheap hooker if you don't use the word vase with that pronunciation. Um, which, you know, justice for sex workers, sex work is sex work, is work, is work. And we need sex workers to be protected and glorified and taken care of in our society. Thank you. Um, and give and them vases. Yes, give all of them vases. Give them vases. Um, draw them on vases. Yeah. Full of money. Vases, <laughs> vases yeah. full of money. Um, so, yes, this is our, again, second ever Amphorasode. And today we're going to be tackling the fabulous and wonderful and very compelling and upsetting myth of Orpheus and Eurydice. Yeah. A story for the so ages, cool. if you will. Paint it on mm-hmm. a vase. It'll last longer. <laughs> <laughs> Five thousand years, hey yo. <laughs> so, if you don't know already, Orpheus is the most legendary and most accomplished musician in Greek mythology. We cast Prince to play Orpheus in Pop Star Pantheon. Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. And his father was a king, or possibly Apollo. Usually Apollo. His mother was one of the muses, uh, but. What we do know is that Apollo is the one who gave Orpheus his famous golden lyre, and mm. he taught him to play it. His mother, in this case, Polyhymnia or Calliope, both of whom are muses and both of whom preside over eloquence, poetry, and sonic harmony, taught him to write verses for singing. He was an Argonaut and passionately in love with a fellow Argonaut, Calais. Do we remember who Calais is? Yeah. <laughs> he can fly with his hair. He's yeah, one of the Wendy boys. He's one of the Wendy boys. Wendy boys. Is he the brunette or the blonde? Blonde. Calais, no. Yeah. The brunette. Really? How do you know? Because blondes deserve nothing in this life. They get enough oh. for free well, already. I, I mean, I don't like blondes either. I just I thought don't know why I was surprised the name just by sounds a hot like blonde. Coming around the corner there. <laughs> but I was. You were. I don't know. I thought hmm, maybe I just remembered that wrong. <laughs> it's always a good time for social justice. <laughs> Welcome to my podcast, Mount About Everything. Sorry, he's, he's a bottle blonde. I don't know what to say. Yeah, well, actually, that's not un- like an impossibility. They actually did bleach their hair in the ancient world. Of course they did. Oh. Yeah, it's like a real thing. And also <laughs> a thing that is usually tied with the transfeminine priesthoods that we're going to talk about right. in another uh, episode. Right, they would that. have they long have, like, hair and hair, they would bleach yeah. it. And they would be like, hey, Roman boys, feeling that insecure, ex- feeling nothing curious. Nothing <laughs> Um, I'll show you a goddess. Mm. <laughs> That's right. Bust that bussy open. I'm your Venus. I'm uh, yes. <laughs> According to Phanicles, Orpheus loved Calais, quote, the son of Boreas, the north wind, with all his heart, and went often in shaded groves, still singing of his desire. Nor was his heart at rest, but always sleepless cares wasted his spirits as he looked at fresh Calais. 
Now, it's not certain how or why their relationship ended because we're not allowing any story in which something bad happens to one of the Windy Boys, but it seems like <laughs> it did. Now, in most of the tellings that I know of, um, Calais and him are like eternal lovers who are obsessed with each other, and it's like the great love story, and it happens after the events with Eurydice, but sometimes it's also pictured as like beforehand. No, let's go with the other one. Let's go with the other one. I don't know why, but that's a thing. Now, the most famous myth around Orpheus is that of his love for Eurydice. She became his wife, and they had an epic love story, but their marriage was a tragic one. Hymenaeus, the Oroti of bridal hymns and weddings, and the Hymen, I'm assuming, even though that's a myth, <laughs> was called upon to give his blessing, and he sadly prophesied that the perfection of their love would not withstand the fates. On their wedding day after the ceremony, Eurydice was walking in tall grass and was set upon by something. It said it could be a satyr, a centaur, um, an enemy soldier, one of the gods, who fucking knows. The point is, is that she takes off running full tilt, and as she's running away, in her attempted escaping, she falls into a pit of vipers and was dead from their bites almost immediately. Orpheus sets out searching for her after she disappeared from the wedding celebrations and was the one to find her body. So consumed with grief was Orpheus that he pulled out his lyre and played the saddest song ever heard. So sad that it is said all the nymphs and all the gods wept and grieved with him, and even the rocks cried out. Jeez. Orpheus could not be without her, and so he journeyed down into the underworld to see her. In many versions, it is the weeping gods and the spirits of nature who told him how to get there and what to say. And it is their protection which kept him alive and made the way open for him until he was somehow standing in the throne room of Hades and Persephone themselves. Sidebar, it's often said that he played a beautiful lullaby for sweet Cerberus, who immediately fell asleep contentedly. Yeah, I love that part. <laughs> That's so cute. Before he could even think of what to say, he blurted out that he was there for his wife, that he could not live without her, and that she deserved to be back in the sunlight with him once more. Hades was inscrutable and implacable, but he was not unkind. He explained how that was simply impossible, and then attempted to send Orpheus back to the surface. But Orpheus couldn't bear the thought of leaving without her, and so instead of speaking, he just began to play his lyre and sing his song once more. The rulers of the underworld were so overcome by his song and his story that they granted his request. This is usually played out with Persephone having a heart for him and then demanding her husband help him. But in others, Hades himself openly weeps at the loss of their love and moves of his own accord. I like that. They warned him that she could return to life, but only if he were to walk ahead of her back to the surface, staring straight forward and not looking back to see her until he reached the sunlight of the upper world. He instantly agreed, thinking this would be so easy. The problem is, Eurydice was a shade, and there was no sound to her footsteps. So as they progressed, doubt crept into Orpheus's mind. No. Were the gods just messing with him? It, it couldn't have been that easy had he been duped. And so, just feet away from the light of day, Orpheus lost his nerve and turned around, just in time to see Eurydice's shade be snatched by ghostly hands and dragged, silently screaming, back into the underworld where she would be trapped forever. He attempted to chase after her, but instantly he felt his life force drain as he ran back into the tunnel. 
for the gods had not given him their blessing a second time, and so their fates were truly sealed. In his grief, he sat outside the cave mouth and played mournful songs and began to waste away when a cluster of maenads approached him in their frenzied ecstatic procession, drawn by his music and whatever psychotropics they were on. And then they descended upon him in a torrent of flesh and blood, tearing him limb from limb until only his head was left behind, still singing. But the muses decided to save his head and enchanted it to retain his brilliance. And so it remained among the living, singing his melodies forever. Wow, I forgot about that last part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, <laughs> it sneaks up on you. Yeah, it's usually so... it's usually the main ads because there's always that really firm link between Orpheus and Dionysus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. there are other ones where Zeus is like, "I'm done with this," and strikes him with a lightning bolt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's also another one. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the other one is. That's just Orpheus really and... like mundane. It's like Orpheus is and his like worst, bad, bad, terrible, horrible day. <laughs> like. Well, I don't know. I do feel like all of creation is like, all right, listen, we really all enjoyed the new Adele album, but you've been playing it for three weeks straight. Yeah, we're over the song now. (laughs) Now it's a lot, you know. I I like the version where somehow he still ends up with Windy Boy later. Well, that's the thing. I had never heard of the Calais thing before. Oh, that is actually classic Greek myth. That is 100% true. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I just, I had never heard That's of That's awesome. That's really cool. It's pretty much understood he had two great loves, Calais and Eurydice. The order oh. is different Confusing. because it's often said that it was after Eurydice that he was with yeah. Calais, but he dies at the end of the yeah. Eurydice story. So it's kind of hard to figure out. But people well, are so dying and coming back to life all the time in these things. There's just never an, uh, there's never anything stated about why their relationship ended or if it ended. And yeah. then suddenly he's marrying Eurydice and there's no story about that either. There's so missing it's chapters. like, well, fuck what happened? You know, either yeah, way, good what, for him. What I had, I think like the the way I'd heard the story was like there was some distance between when he comes back out of the cave and the main ads. Mm-hmm. Like there was uh, like a point where he's like walking around or something and he walks like the version of the story I heard is essentially he walks into the main ads. Yeah. Which is them finding him. Yes. In his grief. Um, yeah. So I, the point I guess, is like, either way, he's unaware that they're there. Right. Yeah. And so basically you're either going to get hit by the truck or you're going to walk under the truck. One of those is happening, but you're yeah. not coming out the other <laughs> side going. of a main app blender. <laughs> you're just not. I love the idea of main ad storms where it's just like, mm-hmm. all right, so eastbound, we're going to have a main, <laughs> have a main ad. You want to stay away from there. Somebody like yanks a goat's tail and it bleeds and they're standing on top of a building and they're like, everybody, there's a main ad of uh, warning in effect in the area. A main ad cluster has get appeared inside, get inside. on the horizon. Everyone get inside, protect your animals. <laughs> that story, this story like ruined my life as a kid. Mm. Like it was, I yeah, think it's pretty rough. <laughs> I remember like it was one of the myths that really stuck out to me because I just remember being like, I don't know. I was probably like six or something. And I was just like, no, but there has to be. It's like when you read Romeo and Juliet for it's, the first time, oh. you're like, there has to be just don't turn around. There has to be a version where he just doesn't turn around. Like it's like maddening. Yeah. That's so funny. Cause I had the opposite reaction. Really? I was really cynical of it as a child because I had already had Lot's wife drilled into me. I had Lot's wife before. So I was like, what a fucking dumbass. This never fucking works. Why don't you just stay, look 
looking forward, man. Like, yeah. this is what's going to happen. I yep. was so, like... <laughs> it's, he's lucky he didn't turn into a pillar of salt. I was, like, so, like, you know, a five-year-old boomer about it. I was, like, you know... He didn't follow the rules. Why didn't he pull himself up by his bootstraps, you know? Just, like, pissed for your idiocy. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I feel that too. It's so time. sad. It's so sad. It's like, no, she didn't do anything wrong. Well, there are there are versions of the story, common versions, where basically there is like an up, uh, like a raised stakes of like, yes, you can take her with you, but if you fail, she will be thrown into oh. like Tartarus. I feel like oh, I remember no. that. I feel like that mm-hmm. was. It's like it's even worse. Like it'll yeah. be even worse for her when she comes back. Exactly. Like she's just up. like I, I think she's like in like the meadow, the Asphodel Meadows right now. Yeah. And she's like just it'll be like fine. Blank. Yeah. But, like, she's going to the bad place if you fuck this up. And he's like, I got it. And it's like, well, yep, there it is. There's that audacity. Yeah. I also really like thinking, like, Prince. Speaking of audacity, we record our podcast in audacity. (laughs) And if you've noticed our stellar audio quality that has had absolutely no issues in the run of our podcast, you should check out Audacity today. (laughs) If that is the case. (laughs) Um, I feel... Like Prince, obviously for Orpheus, but yes. I also really like the idea of James Blake because of the music. Like, like all of James Blake's albums are like, like the super, saddest super song sad. In the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like thinking that everyone is just getting really sick of this song. At a certain point, they're like, "Can you? You're bumming everyone out. Like, please shut up." <laughs> if it's Prince or it's James Blake, can Eurydice still be played by Apollonia? Oh, yeah, for sure. I just feel like that just makes the most sense. Also, like, hello, we're doing a Greek myth. My fucking name is Apollonia. I'm there. Thank yeah. you very much. Um, and then, like, the Greek chorus is Vanity Six. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that story a lot. Um, yeah. But I, I've never been able in my life to divorce it from the story of um, Sodom and Gomorrah and mm-hmm. Lot's wife. Yeah. You know, of course, there's, there's that whole thing of don't look. Right. And how we can't resist it. Yeah. So I wanted to surprise you guys today with with reading a poem that is really deeply meaningful to me about that experience. And something that I've thought about basically my whole life is, like, mm-hmm. what is Lot's wife's story? Because we literally only know her as Lot's wife. She doesn't even have yeah. a name. And she's this, like, incredibly powerful story that everyone's told about how you have to be obedient to God. This is a poem by Karen Finneyfrock, and it's called What Lot's Wife Would Have Said If She Wasn't a Pillar of Salt. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when we met in Gomorrah, when you were still beardless, and I would oil my hair in the lamplight before seeing you, when we were young and blushed with youth like bruised fruit? Did we care then what our neighbors did in the dark? When our first daughter was born on the River Jordan, When our second cracked her pink head from my body like a promise, did we worry what our friends might be doing with their tongues? What new crevices they found to lick love into or strange flesh to push pleasure from? When we called them sodomites then, all we meant by it was neighbor. When the angels told us to run from the city, I went with you. But even the angels knew that women always look back. Let me describe for you, Lot, what your city looked like burning since you never turned around to see it. Sulfur ran its sticky fingers over the skin of our countrymen. It smelled like burning hair and rancid eggs. I watched as our friends pulled chunks of brimstone from their faces. 
Is any form of loving this indecent? Cover your eyes tight, husband, until you see stars and convince yourself you are looking at heaven. Because any man weak enough to hide his eyes while his neighbors are punished for the way that they love deserves a vengeful God. I would say these things to you now, Lot, but an ocean has dried itself on my tongue. So instead I will stand here while my body blows itself grain by grain back over the land of Canaan. I will stand here and I will watch you run. Wow. There is so often the story of the man, you know, uh, being followed by a woman and the woman failing. Mm -hmm. And in this story, the man fails and the woman still doesn't have a voice. Yeah. And so it meant a lot to me to give Eurydice something that I felt like she would have in camaraderie with Lot's wife. Yeah. Um, about how her fate was determined completely out of her own hands. Out of her hands, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, And this is something that people have spilled ink over for literally centuries and centuries and centuries. What made Lot's wife look back? Why did she look back? What, mm-hmm. what did she see when she looked back? Did she stumble in the sand and accidentally look back? Yeah. Did she Was someone calling after them, asking what was going on? Did she hear some sort of explosions in the city from the fire and the brimstone that she never would have heard in her life, you know? Um, And so, yeah, it just, it it means a lot to me to be able to share that poem with you guys. So, yeah. So what do we think about Orpheus and Eurydice and this whole fucking don't turn around? (laughs) I really like learning. I mean, I really like revisiting, but like thinking about it as, um, the idea that Hades may have been like moved enough to actually like give a second chance for no real reason. Like there's no, you know, I mean, just because he was moved by like their love because there's no compelling argument. No, she didn't die in a fucked up way. I mean, she died like it was an accident, but it's not like, right. Like it happens all the time. Yeah. It's like people get attacked by animals or like die in freak accidents all the time. Like she didn't, I don't know. Or childbirth during this period. Yeah. It's not like this is so unfair the way she died, but I guess, so then it's that, you know, that Orpheus just did a compelling enough argument, like because he, because of his art, I guess it's like art. The art of uh, the the music was able to convince them to to offer them another second chance, but it's like you know I don't know that that part's kind of cool. It's cool that there isn't really any real reason that they should get a second chance over anyone else. But I don't know. I, I like seeing. I mean, like everything we've talked about in the main episode too with Hades. It's like I, I I like seeing the sides of Hades that are a little more compassionate and thoughtful than his brothers. Yeah, I think too. Like, there's probably some. I don't know. I've always imagined with that story that like Hades saw some of his own story in the way that he relates to Persephone. I think so too. Yeah. I see that as well. Um, I didn't ever think about that. And that makes me like it a lot more now. I see yeah, that a ton. Because yeah. I, I like for like you, like you said, there's not really other than he's really Because I've always singing. found it compelling. Yeah. yeah. I've always found the story compelling and intriguing and provocative, but I've never been on their side. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I think like, I, I think I kind of placed it. That was where my brain, like when I heard that story, I was like, oh, because of the Persephone thing, you probably like, you know. And then I think also even the idea of Orpheus and like the resurrection stuff, like that eventually will come mm. in the sense of like 
celebrating people who are celebrating a god that was successfully able to go down there and come back um and i don't know there's just something like really really interesting about um the 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 two couples interacting there um and well eurydice not really getting to but um yeah i don't know it's just like a really interesting story there is like a parallel there is definitely like a mirror like looking at themselves kind of thing Mm -hmm. i feel that i even think i used to i even think i used to think of them as like i always think of them as related like i always think of persephone and eurydice as like similar in some way in my Mm -hmm. mind like there's some connection from just probably from hearing the story as a kid that there is just like some link like very strong link yeah I also like one of the things I've always liked about this story is that it's a heroic feat by an artist. Exactly. Yeah. I think the, the he fact doesn't fight he anybody. That's no, it. He, plays he doesn't. Beautiful he overcomes the odds yeah. just with his art. With art. I think that's what it is. I was trying to figure. I was trying to put words to like why I think it's so interesting because mm. it's like the the story itself is not very complicated. No, no. it isn't. Um, and she doesn't die the, for any. I, it's not like even that horrific. It's just like it's like oh well. She's not murdered. She's no. not. It, it's just it's a freak not accident. Unjust. She just whatever. It is what it is. And I can't imagine too. it was hard to fall into a pit of snakes back then. No, probably not. No, everywhere. Um, well, you know, as we know from the upcoming Hades episode that this is almost like a teaser for, <laughs> check it out Friday. <laughs> um, it is not uncommon, maybe, for there to be pets all over the place and them to be related to Hades. Oh, yes. Because yeah. if you're going to make your offering, if you're going to do some, some kind of performance, you got to do it six feet on the. You got to do it in the pit. <laughs> and also, we talked about like snakes moving back between you know, topsoil and below. Yeah, and being symbolic of the underworld and of an yeah. otherworldly nature. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just wonderful. I do well, like, I, I think that's swell. Swell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, that is our second ever m 4 episode. How are we feeling about these little mini episodes, y'all? Uh, so fun. I love it. Who doesn't like a little <laughs> teaser? Yeah, a little bite size. A little tease, yeah. Yes. Eat it up. So um, that is it from us here <laughs> at One God Was Queer. Remember that you can always reach out to us about an upcoming God and their episode and uh, tell us any questions that you have or anything that you want to hear about by emailing us at whengodwasqueer at gmail.com or going to anchor.fm slash whengodwasqueer and leaving us a voice message. What? And if you what? leave us a cool one and you've got like your Telecaster voice on, we will <laughs> include it in the episode. What Ooh. in the world? Um, so, <laughs> so with technology. that, technology, um, you can also follow us speaking of technology on Instagram and TikTok at when God was queer. We're not, we're trying to get regularly posting. Um, nobody is required to do anything for you. You do whatever you want. Ever. <laughs> Everything is permitted. Um, so, uh, with, with that being said, <laughs> from your us at God Queer is, we, we will might, say goodbye. We're going to do some crime. Yeah. Gay. Yes. Crime. Be gay. Yes. And crime. Yeah. And God's oh. watching you. They are watching yeah, you. Probably. They're oh, always Santa. watching. <laughs> it's creepy. Yeah, no, it is. They are. <laughs> okay, bye. 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 <laughs>